What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Taking Care of Grizzness, the official Memphis Grizzlies podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and we have a big time guest today as the NBA draft is 10 days away, which is crazy. So all this smoke is about to intensify. We're about to start seeing some real, real stuff here materialize. I'm very excited to talk to one of the best people covering the NBA draft. He's done a lot of very good interviews with prospects over the years. He did a lot. He did some interviews last year with Jake Thrabia, David Roddy, Kenny Chandler, Vince Williams. I mean, I feel like if you want to, if you want to get a gist of who might end up being a Memphis Grizzly, read these guys' interviews over at For the Win. His name's Brian Kalbarowski. Brian, how's it going today, man? Yeah, it's good, man. I was actually texting. Uh, somebody who works for the Grizzlies after the draft last year. And I was like, you guys literally, I think I interviewed 10 people in the Grizzlies drafted, I think three or four of them, uh, including Vince Williams. And, you know, Vince wasn't really getting mocked in a lot of places, but I was a big believer in him. And I I just thought it was amazing that clearly, uh, clearly the Grizzlies and I have similar tastes and the prospects that we bring in. And, um, you know, I think that I only have a bit of time to interview a certain number of prospects. So I try to choose them fairly carefully and, um, I guess I choose guys the Grizzlies tend to like because, uh, you know, in the past it'd be it'd been similar. I had interviewed uh, Brandon Clark when he was in the pre-draft process, and um, you know, it's just been it's been a few years of doing this project, uh, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've gotten to know a lot of Grizzlies in the process too. Desmond Bain was somebody who, when I interviewed him, I was like, I cannot believe he's not a lottery pick, and of course, turned out he probably should have been even higher than that. So. Uh, it's been it's been really awesome doing this project and getting to know some future NBA players uh, in the process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brandon Clark. I remember too. You had Xavier Tillman as well in that uh, yep. 2020 draft class, and I had uh, John Conchar too, who was a fun one. I did not expect him to end up is, in the place that he is. That is a fun one. Uh, we've I've over at um my old podcast Core Four, we had John Conchar as well. But so I want to talk about a few of the guys that you've. Uh, had in there as well uh, for this class and some guys that have been mocked to the Memphis Grizzlies. Before before we get into any of those guys, uh, as we were on the Zoom, we had some big draft news break, uh, and I'll explain why it's big here in a moment. But Bobby Clintman of Wake Forest is withdrawing from the NBA draft and is considering alternative routes to the NBA, both domestic and abroad. So Bobby Clintman... You know, he's kind of this mystery man who he didn't really do much in the combine. And there's rumors of a draft promise. Obviously, when you're thinking of a draft promise, you're thinking teams like Indiana and Charlotte, who each have five picks in the top 40. Thinking of OKC, who's notorious for letting draft intel slip out and making it incredibly obvious. But also, too, I know... Some people were floating out the Memphis Grizzlies as that possibility. You know, Raphael Barlow's hinted at it. Adam Spinella had had Bobby Clintman and different mod drafts. Kevin O'Connor, the Ringer had Bobby Clintman a different, uh, at the 25th pick as well. So, just Brian, what do you make of this news with Bobby Clintman? I mean, I think it makes sense um, for, for a lot of reasons. His youth, his intriguing tools, perhaps going to a situation where he can – utilize those tools more and elevate his draft stock to make more money. But I want to get your insight on this and see what you think on this. Yeah. You know, candidly, I think that while Bobby was always um, somebody who was 
going to be an interesting option. Every scout that I've spoken to about Bobby uh, has really liked him. Uh, the reality is that well, the intention was to never go back to Wake Forest. That was that was never going to be the plan. Um, there, I, I don't think there was actually too much certainty that he was going ever going to stay in this draft. I think um, you know we we should definitely be looking at uh, the uh, you know Australia Next Stars program. Uh, for him, mm-hmm. which is obviously the program that LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton uh, and Josh Giddy and Dyson Daniels have done. Um, and I think we should also keep an eye on the G League Night, um, which is sort of similar to, um, I guess, kind of what Leonard Miller did during the draft last year, uh, where he declared for this draft, didn't uh, withdraw with time to go back to college, but then did withdraw uh, before the actual draft itself. So um, I think Leonard Miller did that, and then uh, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but F.A., the big man from Washington State, uh, did a year at Washington State or two, and then uh, ended up going to G League Night last year, too. So it's not unheard of to take that route, to to do a year of college, and then try the G League Night program while maintaining that eligibility for the 2024 NBA draft. Um, I think that he should be uh, somebody who people uh, will probably have highlighted early as a probably 10 to 20 range type of player um, can play his way in or out of that, uh, depending on where he goes. I mean, I know a lot of teams um, or a lot of the, uh, the reports that I had seen, you mentioned a few teams. I, I had seen the Pacers is another one. Um, I think that, you know, those were, those were teams that were mostly picking back half of the first round. And I think that, you know, he's probably hoping next year, six foot 11 or so uh, with uh, wing skills, guard, guard, wing skills. Uh, that he could potentially be, you know, closer to that first half of the lottery than second half of the first round. So I uh, totally get it. And I think this is sort of the plan all along, build some hype and, um, you know, keep that, keep that mystery and then, uh, you know, have a killer season next year. Yeah. I, I think the Ignite would be a, a very interesting and beneficial spot for Bobby just because Ron Holland and Modis are already going to be there, projected top two picks in the NBA draft next year. So there's going to be a lot of eyes down there. But also it's a similar path to, like, I think you mentioned this guy, Leonard Miller, where Leonard Miller, nobody knew what his draft stock was going to be. But now, I mean, I thought last year from February to March, I think Leonard Miller put together a stretch that's probably as impressive as anyone outside of that Wimby Scoot Brandon Miller tier. So I think it'd be beneficial. Definitely. And, you know, I, I did a big profile on Leonard Miller last year before he had decided on the Ignite. At that point, I think he was still looking at, I want to say, Kentucky and Arizona as some of his options. And, you know, I think that uh, Leonard really proved that he made the right call. Um, you know, he, I think he had some trouble uh, at some points, uh, you know, with uh, consistency. But you're right, down the stretch, especially when Scoot was out and the ball was going more into Leonard's hands, he looked like every bit a top prospect in this class or in, in any class. I, I I think I have a lottery grade on Leonard. I haven't uh, done a big board. I'm not a huge believer in big boards for individuals because, frankly, what does it matter what I think? Um, but I think if I were to have a big board, Leonard would be in my top 14. And, um, you know, that's just the kind of player that I like, man. I like guys who, um, you know, have that blend of size and playmaking and guard skills. I mean, uh, I tend to get really excited about guys like Scotty Barnes and uh, on a lesser scale, Kyle Anderson and in this year's class, Anthony Black. Um, and I think that those are the kind of players that, that tend to tend to get my attention, man. So, um, you know, it should be fun. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens with Leonard Miller. Uh, he's somebody that if uh, is still on the clock uh, or if he's still available and the Grizzlies on the clock, I would definitely take a take a swing there. 
Um, he's somebody who I think at 25 would be tremendous value. Um, you know, he, I, I interviewed him last year and I think that he's come a long way this year. Um, you know, in the year that I've spoken to him and I think that, uh, he's somebody who I just really can't wait to see where he ends up. He's one of my most, uh, most intrigued, uh, destination type prospects. Absolutely. I mean, I think aside from like the Thompson twins and Anthony black to a, an extent, I don't think there's anyone in this draft who's, whose ceiling is drastically different uh, if they get that jumper. I mean, like I said, I mean, like you said, he's 6'10". He has, he has good ball skills. He can get downhill. He can play that small ball five. He can play as a, a four and get out in the open floor. Obviously, there's some stuff. He's still raw. It's going to take a bit. I mean, I have a lottery grade, at least back half a lottery grade on Leonard Miller just because He's already done so much impressive stuff just with it at the G League Ignite. And like I said, I mean, he averaged like 22 and 10 for a solid game stretch from February to March against G League competition, obviously better than college competition. So that's where I am on him. But, you know, a couple other guys I do want to talk to you about because you have interviewed these guys. And a lot of these guys are players that you are really high on. First one i got to talk to you about is Brandon Podsumaisky. I know he's been mocked to the Grizzlies at a couple places. I know Jonathan Wasserman had him at 25 in his latest Bleacher Report mock draft, but in your latest mock draft, you had Brandon Podsumaisky there. So I want to see what your rationale is on uh, the guy people are going to call AirPods on why he could be a potentially good fit with the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, no, I, I like to call him B pods. He's somebody who, um, you know, I think exudes confidence on the court. Uh, he does a little bit of everything. And that's something you're going to hear with a lot of guys that are mocked to the Grizzlies. Um, you're going to hear that for a few of the other prospects that we're going to talk about today, too. Uh, just tends to be something the Grizzlies like. Um, and I think you look at the playoffs, right? And you watch the playoffs. And this is an analysis that I think is kind of some of the most helpful analysis that any prospect can hear. They're going to game plan for you over the course of seven games in the playoffs, and they're going to take away your number one option, your number two option, and your number three option. So what's your fourth best skill, right? And if your fourth best skill, you're still able to produce something at a high level, you can stay on the floor. But if you only have two or three skills and we were able to counter and take away two or three of those, you've got nothing left. You don't really have much use in the rotation. Um, and I think that that's something that really is going to shine for a guy like B pods. And, you know, I think he's somebody who, um, you know, didn't have the best measurements, unfortunately at the combine when it comes to just the anthro stuff. Uh, I think athletically uh, the vertical was, uh, was something that, that popped for him. Uh, he definitely uh, tested well athletically, but uh, a little bit undersized for, for what I would want him to, to have his role to be at the next level. Um, I think I'll just pull up the exact information. He was six foot, a, a touch less than six foot four in socks. So um, not much of a great wingspan either at six foot five. Uh, and I think that, you know, those are things that could potentially limit what positions he plays at the next level. I think you would ideally like to see him as more of like a, you know, two, three, maybe even a four, but he's probably going to be closer to a one or a two. But the good news is that he really checks a lot of boxes, um, you know, as a playmaker, as a as a shooter. Uh, he said his favorite part of the game is rebounding. I think he fits that intensity, that grit and grind kind of mentality that Memphis has tended uh, toward for the last couple of decades. Um, I think he would love that. I think that's something that would really fire him up. Uh, he's going to be one of those guys who's diving for loose balls. He's going to be one of those guys just doing the dirty work. Um, you know, he, that's kind of what he said when he, when he spoke to me, he said that 
you know, the things that he wants people to know uh, about his game the most about above everything is that, you know, he's got that grit um, and he's got, you know, he's got that junkyard dog mentality um, and he's played every position. Um, you know, he's definitely somebody who uh, is more of a guard right now, but, you know, he takes defense personally. He doesn't like to get scored on. He doesn't like to get, he doesn't like to lose. And, you know, some of the guys he mentioned that he watches the most are guys like Marcus Smart and Drew Holiday. Um, and I think that, you know, when you look at the, the, the metrics that matter the most in college basketball, um, you know, he, he's somebody who grades well in each of them, you know, whether it's uh, finishing at the rim or defense or shooting or, or what have you. And I think he's got the ability to, to hit that open shot uh, as well, uh, which I think is really big. Um, he's a, he's a good playmaker. Um, you know, should that I think that, that the shooting is really going to be everything for him. I mean, he shot, uh, 43.5% on his uncontested three pointers. Um, and I think that, uh, for like 65% of his shots were contested at Santa Clara. So I think he'll get more open looks, especially if he was playing alongside someone like jaw or Desmond Bain, who, you know, could relieve some of that of a uh, valve and give him some more spacing. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, what he does when he has more spacing because he did hit those uncontested three pointers at a really high rate. Yeah, for sure. And I think one, obviously, you never draft for knee. I, I've been saying this a lot in my subsect here recently because a lot of the guys that are interesting for the Memphis Grizzlies are like three, four combos who are, some of those guys we'll get to in a minute. But one thing that sticks out to me about pods is and a thing that the Grizzlies need is they don't really have any combo guards in their prospect part of their depth chart. It's all these combo wings who it's either two threes like Vince Williams and Zaire Williams, or it's three fours like David Roddy, Jake Arabia, Santi Aldama. They could really use they could really use a combo guard in there uh to have behind and learn from guys like Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard. Like I saw and uh, John John Hollinger's uh, draft article about his top 20 plus guys. He compared pods to Luke Kennard as a shooter. And uh, I think he does a lot of stuff that the Grizzlies like, you know, they, they very much like those guys that could dribble pass shoot pods really showed that last year at Santa Clara. I do have questions about the defense and how much you think his size will hinder him from, or if it won't at all from making defensive events and from really being such an overwhelming asset on the boards like he was at Santa Clara last year. Yeah, you know, I think his physicality could be um, a bit of a problem. But, you know, I think we, we've we seen him uh, continue to, to, you know, be productive the entire year at Santa Clara. Um, you know, one thing that, that concerns me the most uh, for, for him is that, uh, his productivity went down quite a bit when he played against higher competition. And that's, of course, going to happen to every single player, uh, you know, at the competition level. But, you know, when you look at somebody um, like like Brandon, you want to make sure that, you know, he's able to compete against the highest levels. And, um, you know, just looking at box plus minus as, as, as the metric, um, you know, you had a 10 box plus minus against all competition. Uh, but when just looking at top 50 competition, that drops down to uh, six uh, to 3.9. Uh, that delta of minus 6.1 uh, is the greatest swing uh, of all of the prospects uh, that are looking to get drafted, uh, in a, at least in a draftable range that, that I've been tracking. Um, and so that that concerns me. Uh, similarly, his ability to finish at the rim, uh, you know, it was 62 uh, percent. 
uh, for th- at the Ram against uh, top 50 teams or against all teams, and then 37% at the Ram against top 50 teams. So I uh, don't love seeing that either. Suggest some, uh, you know, concerns there about physicality and, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, we'll see a little bit uh, how that translates. You know, he's still young. You know, he's still he was an underclassman. You know, he was a, he was a sophomore last year. And, um, you know, we, all, we only have one year of uh, college shape on him, really, though, because he didn't really play his freshman year um, at Illinois. So uh, I think he's a development guy as well, um, a little bit more so than some of the other prospects. Um, you know, I think for me, the the finishing at the rim dropping so much uh, against top competition uh, is is a concern um, and something that that I would not uh, uh, like to see continue at the next level. I want to make sure he can still finish at the rim, even if he's guarded against a bigger guy. Absolutely. And, and that's obviously a name that people are going to be interested to see uh, if he if he ends up becoming a Memphis Grizzly on draft night. And he's someone who's really. Um, who's really elevated his draft stock uh, since the end of the regular season. Uh, but, you know, there's there's two more guys I do want to talk to you about, two more guys to get interviewed. And I got to ask about Olivier Maxence Prosper. We're going to call him Omax. I think Omax is a sick name. Like, he already, already kind of boosted up a little bit on my board because of uh, nickname potential. But on the real, though, some of the buzzwords that you have in your – uh, Q&A with uh, Omax Prosper. Electric. And then in a related article note, you have why NBA teams looking for the next OG and Anobi should consider drafting Omax Prosper. And then in your tweet for this article, you said, quote, don't be surprised if all of your Maxence Prosper is drafted in the late lottery. What stands out to you so much about uh, the Omax Prosper, a, a riser in this pre-draft process, and why he could end up being one of the seals of the draft. Because I, I do want to say too, the Memphis Grizzlies are one of those teams looking for their OG and an OB. I mean, they offered three first-round picks. Oh yeah, at the trade deadline, and I'm sure with Darko Rajachovich taking the head coaching job at the Toronto with the Toronto Raptors. And Fred Van Fleet being a free agent, are we going to see a Tyus Jones and picks package for OG and Anobi? Who knows? But sell us on Omax. Why? Why do you think he's a guy who's who should have a late lottery grade and projects to be a guy like OG and Anobi? Yeah, you know, I think I'm the only one right now who has him as a top twenty pick. Um, but you know, I think like the Grizzlies, they're not afraid to trade up for a guy. And pick him before he's projected to go if they think he's the right guy for them. Um, and Omax is kind of my guy in this class. Uh, he's somebody who, um, you know, listen, man, I've, I've done this project every year uh, for the last few years. And every year there's a guy who I talk to and I'm like, yeah, that one. Like, I like that one. Like, he, he speaks with such confidence and such uh, candidness and such genuineness and such a good understanding of himself and playing within his role and what his role is. And I'm like, man, I would draft this kid just on this conversation alone. Uh, previously, some of the guys have had that with include guys like Desmond Bain. But last year for me, the number one guy was uh, Jeremy Sohan. And, you know, you just, just a certain aspect uh, to the sort of thing that, that, that to me suggests when you know, I talk to these guys that they're going to stick around. Xavier Tillman was another one that really stood out in that regard where I'm like, I just believe in you as a person and I'm going to buy all of your stock and it's going to rise. And I'm sure of that. Now, this was before the combine. 
at the combine, he was the top performer at the combine, uh, in my opinion, bar none. Uh, seven foot one wingspan, uh, opted to play in the five on five scrimmages, showing a sense of competitive edge that I really like to see from a prospect. Uh, he looked better than ever with the ball in his hands. He was dribbling, looked a lot more comfortable dribbling. We didn't really see a ton of that at Marquette. Uh, he played with energy. He shot the ball with confidence. He threw down a monster dunk, which was amazing. Um, he had 21 points in, in his first scrimmage game uh, with seven rebounds, two assists, no turnovers, one steal, one block. Uh, so that's obviously fantastic. Um, but he also had a uh, finish in the 94th percentile in max vertical or better, 94th percentile or better in max vertical, standing vertical and lane, agi- lane agility. Um, and he was also 74th percentile or better in wingspan relative to height, as well as shuttle run and three quarter sprint. Um, so these are uh, numbers for, uh, for the percentiles based on uh, players who have competed in the uh, combine, combine since 2000. Uh, so some guys with similar scores in the past include Scotty Barnes, Aaron Gordon, Rudy Gay, Richard Jefferson, and Thad Young. So guys who not only play very athletically, but managed to play you know for a long time at a high level. Um, one of the things I really like about Omax is the way that he's been able to uh, contribute to winning. Um, I think that that's something that really does go a long way for me when I evaluate a player. Um, Marquette outscored opponents by 27 points per hundred when he was on the court relative to when he was not, uh, which ranked second best among all top tier Division One programs. So uh, the the point differential when he was on the court really, really stood out. Um opponents really struggled to score on him when he was the nearest defender. Uh, I think that they were especially uh, hard to score uh, when they, when he contested their jump shots. Um, He defends well against drives. uh, He defends well against pick and roll. He defends well against isolation uh, and somebody who just really is efficient when he does score himself, you know, shooting well at the basket. Um, You know, he's, he's uh, he he drove well. Um, He drove, he, he, somebody got to the, Got to the rim fairly well. Uh, he was one of the only one of the only high major players to record at least thirty dunks and thirty three pointers. So even though he wasn't a knockdown three point shooter per se, um, he he was able to shoot. You know he's not a non factor on that end, and he's athletic. He can dunk. Um, he's a junior, but he's only four months so older than Brandon Miller, uh, and he's younger than some of the sophomores in this class, uh, like UConn's Jordan Hawkins, who's projected to be a lottery pick as well after winning the national championship. So. I just gave a lot of data, a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions. Um, but, you know, really his answers to me, I just thought were so incredible. Um, he, 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 he's, you know, had a lot of success uh, on the international level, playing for NBA Academy uh, and playing for Team Canada, uh, both alongside Benedict Matherin. Um, I think he's just got a winning mentality. Uh, and I think that he's going to scale well at the next level. And I think he's going to be an impactful defender who's going to be an irritant. And I think he's going to be, uh, just uh, somebody who who makes a difference wherever he gets picked. I mean, you got me sold. You got me sold. But I mean, what I I read your article before this, and there's so there's something somewhere else I cannot remember off the tip of my tongue. I've been trying to find it, different tabs and stuff. And the thing that really got me sold on Omax Prosper and why I'm like, okay, I can see this guy being a Grizzlies pick is. Someone, I can't remember where it's from to save my life, but someone raved about his character and his interviews and all that stuff. And something that you've done here as well. And the Grizzlies have very much targeted these high character guys to, yeah. you know, build a culture, but also to the build a culture and buy in 
into their role and, and be and be in a situation where stuff's competitive. I mean, uh, look at the backup three spot. You have Jake Laravia, David Roddy, Zaire Williams, and Vince Williams Jr. all competing for minutes. And at the at the same time, though, we've seen with the Memphis Grizzlies over the past uh, since this you know John Morant era has really started is there's not really a whole lot of egos with it. Like if somebody has to sit and somebody has to sit on the like just catch DMP CDs, they'll answer the bell when they're when they're uh when their number is called. I mean, we saw that with Brandon Clark a few years ago. I mean, we had that weird time where Tyus Jones was catching DMP CDs for the Justice Winslow experiment experience. We had the whole Xavier Tillman thing where he went from starting in the G League in year three to being a key part and one of the better players in that playoff series last year, stepping in for Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. So, I mean, and that's just kind of stuff that stands out to me when, you know, reading some stuff and uh, watching different, you know, YouTube scouting reports and such on, on Omax Prosper and the kind of player he could be at the next level. Yeah, definitely. I'm all in, man. Uh, I think it was Sam Vecini who maybe who reported that uh, Omax was somebody who, who really stood out with his professionalism uh, during the interviews. And, and I'll say, you know, just as well, just that uh, I've done this process, this process uh, going through these prospects uh, for several years now, I've spoken to several prospects uh, who've gone through the draft process and uh, you know, he, he stands out in the upper echelon of professionalism um, and, and just, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that teams tend to like, man. I think uh, you, you definitely want it to, to show that as much as you can. And, and he certainly had that, uh, element and uh, I'm excited to uh, to see where Omax ends up but um, I think that there's a real shot of uh, me you know even if it's not top 15 um, you know top 20 top 25 should be about where his uh, his range stops and um, I think that even though he's not really being mocked there a ton right now you kind of just got to trust a guy like this and you got to trust that he's yep. going to end up in the right spot for him absolutely absolutely for sure and one last guy I'll ask before we close the show and I'll also kind of ask this like double it'll be like a double question as well but one i want you to sell me on a guy that you interviewed today uh or you dropped his interview today i believe it was uh kobe brown and also too really cool story that you've i'm not going to spoil the story but really cool story about how he got the name kobe aside of it being after kobe bryant really cool story highly recommend reading that for the win but um, you know, I know Chip Williams of Grizzly uh, Bear Blues, Buff City Media, has been raving about uh, Kobe Brown as well. And so, just what stood out to you in your evaluation, in your time, you know, talking with and diving in with uh, Kobe Brown, but also with guys like Omax Prosper and Kobe Brown, how can they distinguish themselves in that very crowded prospect tier of Zaire Williams, Jake Ravia, David Roddy, Vince Williams? Because, like I said. You should always look for best player available, but at the same time, you want to give players the proper developmental roadmap and developmental pathway for them to succeed as players and not create this sort of like log jam where really not a whole lot of players are benefiting. Yeah, I think eventually and maybe hopefully not hopefully, but maybe it comes soon. Uh, this this is a team that's going to have to condense its talent. Uh, it just has to. There's just too many guys who deserve to get playing time and would have too much value elsewhere around the league. Uh, just not getting playing time right now. 
Um, and I, and I think you've, you've got to consolidate a little bit. So, you know, even in this draft, the idea of adding even more than one guy who's ready to play in a rotation could be frustrating because it's like, we really can't be doing too much of that to be, you don't have any minutes to promise right now. We've got such a deep roster. Um, but that being said, I really look at Kobe Brown as somebody who, who fits exactly the kind of thing the Grizzlies tend to like, uh, he has all of those elements that, um, that that I certainly have noticed with the guys the Grizzlies have drafted in the past. Uh, first and foremost, high character. Um, really, you know, reminded me a lot uh, when I interviewed Herb Jones out of Alabama, who's gone on to have tremendous success in the NBA. Um, also, like Herb Jones, he had a skyrocket improvement uh, during three-pointing, uh, three-point shooting during his final collegiate season. Uh, he was less than 30% on threes during each of his first three seasons at Mizzou, and then he was up to 45.5% on threes as a senior. Uh, most importantly, though, he hit his uncontested threes. He was uh, 63%, 19 for 30, on his uncontested three-pointers, which was the best mark among all prospects at any level uh, with at least 10 attempts tracked. Um, and, uh, you know, he shot 34 for 54. So that's 63% as well, uh, on his, on all uncontested jumpers, which was also, you know, top two among prospects as well. So, uh, the efficiency uh, as a score is great, you know, 70% at the rim, you know, shows you can finish with the best of them. Uh, I think his physicality is, uh, that, that, that sort of element to his game is probably the most important. Uh, that's what he would tell you as well. Just that he's got that, um, you know, that, that right build, uh, some of the guys that he built, uh, that he's built similarly to, uh, according to his combine measurements, are Paul Millsap, Udonis Haslam, and Draymond Green. Um, you know, which is that six foot six in socks with a seven foot one wingspan and two hundred and fifty two pounds. So, uh, that's those are things that are important. Um, you know, I think he's just one of those great glue guys who uh, is going to play good defense, going to hit his open shots. He's got some good passing as well. I think he's one of his one of the best passers at his position. Uh, you look at guys six foot six or taller. Uh, in college basketball who had an assist percentage above 15% and a turnover percentage below 15%. He was just one of two guys projected to get drafted. The other one's just Trace Jackson Davis, um, but he's definitely got that playmaking feel. Uh, he said that his foundation was always guard play, um, and his dad started them off doing guard things, and those are the kind of things that translated to get him to where he's at now. Um, you know, as a, a guy who's, you know, six, six in, in socks, so six, eight in shoes, really, um, who's gone on to to become a, a solid playmaker uh, at the college level. And, you know, he's a defensive playmaker who gets steals and blocks and uh, with the efficiency of his scoring um, and the impact he can make as a defender uh, with his physicality, um, you know, and turn enforcing turnovers. Uh, you've got somebody who I think uh, uh, can really make an impact. So he's somebody who I think they should be looking at. Uh, in the 25 range as well. Uh, wouldn't be surprised at all to hear Grizzlies uh, select Kobe Brown because he just kind of fits a lot of those boxes, man, that we talked about last year. You look at the things that the Grizzlies like and, you know, the, all of their draft picks last year had everything in common, which was about efficiency, um, you know, value beyond scoring uh, and, you know, the uh, uh, the defensive playmaking and, um, you know, the, the fact that you can just do things, even if the ball's in John Moran's hands. Um, and I think that's something that's going to stand out for, for Kobe is that even if he doesn't get a single touch, he could still make an impact. Yeah, absolutely. No, those are really the guys that, you know, you want on this team when you're trying to build around a core of Ja, Jaren and Bain is you want guys that can scale down and compliment these guys. Obviously you don't want them to be, totally dependent and not be able to like create for themselves or anything. But at the end of the day, you also want guys who can scale down and, you know, 
contribute to winning basketball. And that's uh, the guys that we talked about, Brandon Pozomaisky, um, Kobe Brown, and Omax Prosper. Those are guys that definitely project uh, as those kind of players, for sure, in that 25 range, perhaps maybe even lower, maybe higher. Who knows? But, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Got a couple minutes left. Anything you want to plug in before we uh, close out here? Uh, no, just keep uh, keep an eye out uh, as much as you can for, for some of these interviews that I've got coming up with other prospects. Um, you know, it's been a fun series so far. We've had, you know, some of the guys we talked about, as well as Max Lewis uh, coming up. We've got Chris Murray, Derek Lively, Nick Smith Jr., Noah Clowney, um, and hopefully maybe one or two other surprises uh, before we're uh, before we're all done, before draft week, uh, next, before draft is over next week. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun, man. And I'm excited to uh, see who the Grizzlies end up with, because I, I always tend to like what the Grizzlies do on draft night. Absolutely. We all we all are here. It's definitely going to be a wild time and unpredictable time. Obviously, every the Grizzlies keep stuff closer, closer chess. And I like I like it that way. I don't like I don't like predictability. So it, it's pretty it's a lot of fun. Brian, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. You provide a lot of great draft insight and not really just introducing pe- people and readers and listeners to who these prospects are as basketball players, but who they are as people. So always some great reads. Uh, I always check them out. Y'all show too at for the win. And you can follow me on Twitter, Pac underscore flock. And make sure you're subscribing to my Substack, Substack Elitist. And you can find that link on my Twitter page. All proceeds go to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We will be kind of loading up here with some more uh, prospect profiles and maybe a little trade partner posts here and there uh, for the Taking Care of Grizzlies podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, anything. Make sure you it's – a, it's a new podcast too. So make sure you throw that five-star review and share it with your friends the whole nine yards but yeah but that that takes care of grizzness for this week